Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Hope your morning is going well. Hope it involves lots of... I don't know. What do people want in their morning? Generally speaking, once you hit a certain age, once you get into your adult years, and by adult, I mean over 30... If you're in your 20s, you're hardly an adult. No offense to all of the people out there in their 20s. Feel good about it. You're still young. Once you hit 30, you really don't want anybody to talk to you in the morning. You don't want to do any, like, you just want to get up, get your crap started, and, and get where you need to be doing what you need to be doing. Not talking to anybody. Not dealing with anything. Like, you want traffic to be simple. You want people not to, to just to leave you alone, <laughs> I think. Luckily, uh... Uh, luckily, you don't have to talk directly to me unless you want to, and you will call me up later. We will do that. The phone lines will have um, their turn today, but we also have a big program for you. Luke Moore from the world-famous Football Ramble will join us in a couple of minutes to go over Premier League stuff, Champions League stuff. Today is a big day in the Champions League. Yesterday was a big day in the Champions League. We'll talk to Luke about all of those things. Also on this program, Tyler Riven, who is a, a player for as Arizona United, in the United Soccer League. Now, the reason that Tyler is joining us today is because players in the United Soccer League are looking towards unionizing. There is a push to unionize at the USL level. We'll get to that in the news here, the details of uh, said effort, and then we'll talk to Tyler from a player perspective what this is and why they're doing it. Let's start with the Champions League. Yesterday, Wolfsburg beating Manchester United 3-2. to United goes into the Europa League, crashing out of that uh, Champions League tournament. Wolfsburg wins Group B. If you watch that game, it was joy for United on one end, equalizing with an own goal and then giving up a goal on the other end to uh, Wolfsburg uh, to end up falling out of the tournament. Louis van Hall having to do a lot of damage control today. It's not a pretty sight on the red side of Manchester. PSV rallies to beat CSKA Moscow 2-1 to and finish second in Group B besides, uh, sorry, behind Wolfsburg. Uh, Real Madrid crushing Malmo 8 nothing to win Group A. Ronaldo scored four times. Kareem Benzema scored three times. Malmo was destroyed. PSG finishes second after beating Shakhtar, so uh, they move on to the round of 16 in the Champions League. City has won Group D after their 4-2 win over Mönchengladbach. Raheem Sterling with two goals and an assist in that uh, in that effort. Sevilla, meanwhile, beat Juventus 1-0. Juventus had already qualified. Uh, they finish in second in the group in Group D. Sevilla, by virtue of that win, gets themselves into the Europa League, where they've had a lot of success recently. Atletico Madrid wins, wins Group C, and uh, Galatasaray goes into the Europa League uh, in that group. Champions League schedule today. Roma versus Bate. Bayer Leverkusen versus Barcelona. Dynamo Zagreb versus Bayern Munich. Olympiacos versus Arsenal. Lots of attention on that one. That is the big one, certainly for the Gunners. Chelsea versus Porto. And Dynamo Kiev versus Maccabi Tel Aviv. If I have my scenarios correct, and I'm relying on other people here, so um, yeah, blame them. In order for Arsenal to advance to the next round of the Champions League, the knockout rounds, Arsenal will have to, they're, they're at uh, Olympiacos, they'll need to overturn the Greeks' 3-2 win at the Emirates. So, either a two-goal victory or a one-goal win, scoring at least three goals will be required 
for Arsenal. Again, that's a scenario laid out here. It gets very complicated. I don't do math, so uh, bear with me there. As I mentioned, USL players moving towards unionization. Organizers say 53% of the league's players have backed unionization over the 50% threshold needed to begin the formal process. If the USL does not, uh, sorry, if USL does not recognize the union as a league, organizers of the union will ask the National Labor Relations Board to hold an election. A majority vote would certify the union. All right, so we have um, Ted Filipakos, a player agent taking the league, advising the players. We've got Tyler Riven uh, from Arizona United and Paolo De, uh, Del Pic- uh, Piccolo, excuse me, uh, also involved in the leadership side uh, for the players. Uh, Charlotte Independence midfielder Paolo Del Piccolo. The group said it's working with an arbitrator and a mediator to verify majority support and is waiting for the USL to decide whether it will pers- pers- participate Excuse me, in the process. Um, basically, there's the players and the union organizers are saying that they've put this effort together to work with the league, not as an antagon, you know, not to antagonize the league or work against USL. So again, this is um, a push for unionization down the third level of U.S. soccer, uh, third level for the moment, anyway. So the Portland Timbers won an MLS Cup championship, and they held a celebration in Portland yesterday. Saw some video of that brilliant time there at Providence Park, although it was raining. Thousands turned out. At the rally, they put a stage up in the stadium. Uh, players came out, thanked the fans, gave their speeches, including uh, Darlington Nagby among that group, uh, several other players who have been there for the entirety of the Timbers' history in Portland uh, had their chance to speak. Uh, Jack Jewsbury and Diego Chara, uh, three, two of the other originals, uh, five originals from the team are still there. Nat Borchers, Diego Valeri thanked uh, the fans for their support. Uh, Will Johnson went out on fire. Will Johnson, who has uh, already said he's not going to be returning to the Timbers in 2016, on the stage, threw one more shot at uh, Seattle as he exited. It involved a four-letter word uh, that you don't say in polite company. I'm not sure how many kids were there uh, at Providence Park, but I think they were probably thrilled to hear, hear Will Johnson drop an F-bomb uh, in regards to the Seattle Sounders. The, one of the assistant coaches, Sean McCauley, which I need to find video of this, apparently, led a rendition of Don't Stop Believing that the entire crowd participated in. All right, so there you go. LAFC has named John Thorrington, their VP of Soccer Operations. Uh, they made their first technical side hire with John Thorrington's uh, appointment. Thorrington is 36. He ended his MLS playing career with D.C. United in 2013. He was what at one time was a Manchester United Academy kid. He will be in charge of the player and personnel decisions at LAFC, uh, but will initially focus on uh, on the academy because they don't play until 2018. Here's a quote from Tom Penn, LAFC's president and owner. It says, having played in both the U.S. Uh, playing both in the U.S. and internationally, John brings an unparalleled depth of insight and experience to our club. John knows our game, he knows our league, and is the right soccer mind to build our team on a global level. Certainly a very uh, a very astute hire for LAFC as they get ready to ramp up to 2018. There's a question about the stadium stuff. Maybe we'll get into that later down the line. In the meantime, Luke Moore, world-famous football ramble. He'll join us to talk some European soccer, Champions League, Premier League, whatever's on tap. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Right, we're back on Soccer Morning, Wednesday edition. And we've grabbed a good friend of the show um, and an excellent broadcaster in his own right. Although I don't... Luke Moore from the World Famous Football Ramble. Do you call it broadcasting? Is that is that too... I mean, I, I don't know if I even yeah. call myself a broadcaster, Luke. When I'm feeling particularly self-aggrandizing, I do call it broadcasting, yeah. Okay. But, uh, right. Let's be honest, most of the time it's just uh, mucking around, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is mucking around. I Avoiding just think- a proper job is what I think <laughs> really cool. That is so true. <laughs> that yeah. is so true. And I was just thinking to myself, you spend an awful lot of your time now speaking to, uh, to Americans about soccer... Uh, doing yeah. it over at SiriusXM uh, FC as well. Yeah, my girlfriend's also American, so she has to listen to a lot of it too. There you go. So uh, yeah, so uh, you're you're here. Um, I'm very happy you're speaking to this American um, about football, soccer, whatever we choose to call it. I went on this. Uh, I went on a rant yesterday about that, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, what I don't is- actually mind. I mean, if, just while we're on now, I don't actually really mind. I think a lot of the, the sort of perception. In the U.S. is that British people don't like it when it's called soccer, but I don't, I don't mind at all, really. I know what you mean. Probably yeah, there, there's, there's some people who do, some people who don't. There's some Americans who decided to make it a, their, their cause, and that's a very strange thing. But uh, let's, whatever you want to call it, it's the same game. And uh, speaking of, of, of the game and, and what we had to look forward to, Champions League today, we had some results yesterday. And, and, I, and I'll go back and, and review some of that here in a second, Luke. But I have to ask you, first and foremost, with this challenge, um, is, you know, this challenge facing them, can Arsenal get it done today against Olympiacos? Yeah, I think they can get it done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, as long as they've mathematically got got a chance, of course they can get it done. They need to give them a good beating, don't they? Really, um, and they've got it within them to do that. Um, but whether they do or not, I mean, it's, it's open for debate, isn't it? It's, it's, it's obviously on the road, so it's going to be hard for them. But there's no reason they can't do it. I mean, they need to avenge that home defeat they had from them first time around so yeah of course they can but they've got injury problems as always and there's the there, I, I don't I, I suspect they may not do it but to answer your question can they do it then yeah they can okay well they, they can do it the question i think is is this particular arsenal team of the mindset and of the aggressiveness to do this i mean uh, the the talent is there um the the ability to create the the chances and score the goals is there but i always the last couple of years and especially um as as arson wenger has sort of receded into this cocoon of um i don't even know how to describe exactly what's happened to him but he doesn't seem to have uh this it, it doesn't he doesn't seem to be as forceful as as he may have previously been when this team was winning titles they don't they don't seem to have that extra gear anymore maybe maybe i'm wrong about that I don't know. I mean, possibly. I mean, he's been on the job a long time. He's done well to maintain the hunger for as long as he has. I mean, the problem for Arsenal is that if they don't win, they're going to go into the Europa League. So, I mean, if they don't get it done, they're going into the Europa League. And that's, in my view, something that's going to be detrimental to, to what they want to achieve this season, which is ultimately to win the Premier League title. I don't think they even think they can win the Champions League. But, I mean, they think they can win the Premier League, and rightly so. And going into the Europa League isn't ideal for them. But we've got to be fair to Arsenal here. I mean, they... they that result at home to Olympiacos was, was terrible. They've got big time injury problems now in the field, uh, especially. You know, they, they look at the yeah. players who are going to be out tonight. Sanchez will be out. Um, I think Cazorla will be out. Coquelin will be out. Arteta, Riziki, Wilshire. I mean, these are players who, I mean, someone like Riziki hasn't played very much at all, if at all, I don't think, this season. Um, he's still got experience. You know, he can still go in there, use his experience and, and be an asset to them. The, the, the key area for them is that, is that sort of base of midfield, which they're going to have to, I mean, they're, they're not going to have either of their first choice players in there. 
and it remains to be seen whether the players that come in there can do it effectively. And that'll be a key area for them. That said, though, I think they should have enough to get past Olympiacos. Um, but I'm just talking more broadly in their um, in their in their overall goals. The, the, the injuries they've got are stacking up, and it is really difficult. I mean, I, I actually think I, if, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be hugely frustrated because it's the same old story time and again. Yeah. Um, and the, and the one just to just to just to sort of um, bookend this with with, a, with another chat about midfield injuries. I think if you look at the way that um, Wenger treated Theo Walcott in that game earlier in the season, where there was already a player injured who went off, he, he hurried up Walcott and pushed him on without him warming up for no reason. It was early in the game. There was no reason to do that. Walcott then went on without warming up and then went off again injured. It was, it was, it was, I mean, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be beside myself with that. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I thought it was a really interesting insight into the way those players are looked at. Um, and then maybe I'm barking at the wrong tree. Maybe it was just an anomaly. But they have so many injuries all the time and there must be a reason for that. Yeah, it's... it's, it's... You know, it's 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 easy to say, or it's, it's I think it's appropriate to say they have injuries. That's hard to deal with. I mean, I'm looking at the list, and you just mentioned a bunch of them: Alexis Sanchez, Santi Cazorla, Mikel Arteta, Coquelin, Welbeck, Wilshire, and Rosicky, all on their injured list. Um, that's that's a lot to deal with, and and you kind of go, okay, well, that's I understand how difficult it is, and and whatever Wenger can get out of the rest of his team, then you know, bonus points to him. It's except. There are lots of questions about his management of the squad and his management of the health of his players. And certainly we go, you know, we can go even deeper to, um, the, the way that the club handles, uh, things from a training perspective. Uh, that, that, is that out there? Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I think, I think there is a reason. I think there is cause for concern there. I can't really add anything to what you just said. I, I, I agree with that. Okay, fair enough. Um, so uh, Arsenal obviously facing a challenge today against uh, Olympiacos, but they know what they have to do. Uh, let's go back to yesterday. Let's talk about Manchester United because, um, uh, you know, that <laughs> that particular game, uh, they were back and forth. They had their opportunities, and, and ultimately they, they fell short. And, uh, you know, Lou Van Hull's going to have a lot, of, uh, a lot of pressure on him. And there's, it's not only about the results, Luke. It's about the way that they're playing. Um, mm. Is 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 the is it becoming, you know, is it becoming clear that Louis Van Hall may not last very long in this job? Because I, I don't know if changing things again, and he's not a long-term solution at his age, but I don't know if changing things again is in the best interest of United either, unless they have, you know, Pep coming in or something like that. Yeah, I would before I go into that. Sorry if you can hear meowing in the background. That's Magnus, my cat. He likes to make <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, I haven't seen the game back from last night yet, unfortunately, because I was at a uh, Christmas party last night. Tis the season, but I will watch it back. Um, but it, just in more general terms about Van Gaal, I mean, he's clearly a man who came with a big reputation and a defiant reputation as well, and he very much has got every um, every part of that defiance left in him, as we can see. I mean, he doesn't really make excuses; he just says things that are pretty matter of fact. I wasn't, I mean, if I was a United fan, I'm trying to put myself in the position of someone who's a United fan. I'd probably be a bit annoyed by the defiance he showed in light of last night's result. What I would have wanted him to say was something like, Look, you know, we've got a lot of things to work on, we're going to improve, we'll, we'll work hard on the training ground to put it right, all this other stuff. But he didn't really sort of say that. He just said, oh, we've improved from last season. Well, may, that may or may not be the case. I think there's an argument for, for, for each side of that, of that, of that debate. Um, but the point is, you're out of the Champions League and you're in the Europa League, and for a side or club as big as Manchester United, that is disappointing. Mm. Um, I wonder. I might be a bit hasty in saying this, but it's certainly worthy of debate. I wonder if Van Gaal is now one of those managers who, in the past, has been very, very successful and clearly very talented, 
Uh, but now the game is starting to move on beyond him. If you look at someone like Fabio Capello, who showed great success in his career earlier mm-hmm. in, 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 in his time in management, and has now essentially been moved on by the game, you've got, you've got to adapt. You know, look at someone like Alex Ferguson, who clearly was, was so successful for so long. He always talks about the fact that he has to adapt. He has to learn every day. And so I think, to be, to be perfectly frank, some of these managers who are a bit older, a bit longer in the tooth, I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate older managers in general, but just some of them maybe aren't continually redeveloping and learning and and reinventing themselves and their style of football to adapt to the modern game. And perhaps Van Gaal's not doing that. I mean, there's no, I I was thinking a couple of weeks ago, I think I might have even said it on on the show I do on Sirius, which was that if they can solve the Rooney problem in United, they might better solve their attacking problems. But actually having said that, looking back on them without Rooney against West Ham at the weekend, I'm not sure that's true. I, 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 don't, I don't know if Van Gaal can get the best out of those attacking players. Clearly, he mm. can set them up to be miserly in defence and, and, f- and fairly robust. Uh, but I can't excite anyone at all going forward. And it's a real problem for them. I know we're talking about a team who are fairly near the top of the table and there's a long way to go, and they still may be Premier League champions. So it'll be, I mean, if that's the case in May, I'll, be, I'll sound ridiculous now. But the clear fact is they're not scoring goals and they're not competing often enough in the Champions League. So... That is a fact, and they need to sort it out. I mean, who the answer to that is, I'm not sure. And whether it's firing Van Gaal at this stage is a good idea, I don't think it is. I mean, they're going to have to wait till the summer, really. Um, but it's certainly a lot to think about for United fans. I'll say to them what I said when, when Ferguson first quit. Welcome to the real world. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the, the lack of um, the problems in the attack, and... and you know, obviously that that may feed into besides besides his in, inclinations and, and how to how to get points and get results. That may feed, you know the, the 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 issues he has at the front may feed into why he plays the way he plays. But at the same time, you know he's responsible for their transfer policy. He's responsible for bringing in the players that they've signed. And and it was as as excited as everybody was about Anthony Martial, he can't do it alone. And the thing is, he signed attacking players. He's not. He's not signed. But it's not like he's refusing to sign forward players. Right. You know, he's not like a reverse Kevin Keegan. You know, who used to never used to, used to never used to play defensively or sign defensive players if he could help it. He signed Memphis Depay. He signed Anthony, Anthony Martial. He, he's he's clearly got players of talent uh, in that team who can score goals. I mean, even someone like Bastian Schweinsteiger. I know. He's, I know. He's, um, he's he's ultimately a holding midfielder, and his best years are clearly behind him. He's still very experienced in transitioning defence into attack and moving the ball quickly. He's got someone like Ander Herrera, who's absolutely fantastic in my view and should be used an awful lot more, but he won't play him. I know he's injured at the moment, but he hardly ever plays compared to his talent. So he's got those... He's been very, very stubborn in my view, but he's got those talents and those um, attacking weapons at his disposal. He he either doesn't want to use them or he can't use them effectively. Lots of questions, but you mentioned again whether or not they have a chance at the Premier League title because, well, because because they're good enough is, is I guess relative to the rest of the league. I mean, right now in in fourth, but the way things have shaken out with Leicester on top, and I'll ask you this question as we we'll do some more Champions League, but certainly with with the 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 league now part of the conversation is is Leicester for real, and when does when do we start to see Leicester fade? I, I asked this question of someone the other day. When we get to 2016, are we going to? Is that when we're going to finally see Leicester having stepped aside and and, and seated their position as the surprise leader of this league? And what did the other guy say? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think um, I think the next four games for Leicester are very very important indeed. Yeah. That'll take them up to just around the New Year sort of time, or just before New Year. They play. They're at home to Chelsea this this Monday. 
Uh, and they're away, away at Everton, away at Liverpool, and then they're at home to Manchester City. If we see them, I'm not going to put like a points target on it because that's silly, but if we say them, see them essentially navigate those games, playing well, looking as good as they have done, picking up a couple of wins in a draw or something like that, then I think we have to be realistic and say that actually, already as we are now, I think I'm right in saying that um, no team, I think only one team in history has done this well at the start and not finished in the top four. So that's already going to be pretty, pretty successful for them if they can get to the top four. If they get through these four games, the, the simple fact is that they're playing the best football in the Premier League and other teams keep making mistakes consistently. Other teams that we expect to be very, very good and very, very consistent aren't being that. So we have to take them seriously. Of course, suspensions and injuries towards the back end of the season are going to bite. But Leicester aren't going to have European football. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have a distraction like that. I mean, we saw Liverpool. Liverpool clearly a far, far bigger club than Leicester. But Liverpool had that season where they narrowly missed out on winning the title. And they have no European football. And it played massively into their hands towards the back end of the season. So it, it can happen. I mean, but I'd like to wait until the next four games to see what we've got on our hands here because I, I, I deeply hope it does happen, by the way, because you know, I think it's exactly what the elite means. Well, you know what's interesting to consider? Okay, so you, as you said, no team has started this well and not finished in the top four, and obviously top four means Champions League football next year. Regardless of where they, they finish, that would be, that would be an amazing achievement uh, for Leicester. Um, at the same time that that might be happening, and I think a lot of people, Luke, without a maybe without a rooting interest in in the top uh, in the top of the league, or, or people who are just agnostic about who wins this thing, are rooting for Leicester. That it would be fun to see Leicester uh, finish top four at the very least, and perhaps even shake things up and and, and finish one or two or three. Um, but if they do that, then they go again. They go into the Champions League, and this is also a time when a lot of people are questioning. English club's ability to, to compete in Europe. And, and, and as much as I love Leicester and their story and Jamie Vardy and everything else, I don't think I'm gonna, I don't think we're gonna see them, you know, <laughs> make a run to the knockout rounds of the Champions League next year. No, but I mean that's. But I mean, with the greatest respect, Jason. I mean, so that's, that's that's that doesn't matter, does it? I mean, we, we, no, we, this is not necessarily. But I'm just saying, like, it would continue that trend of of, of English clubs having struggled. Now, right, right now, look, City's through. But here's what they can do. I know what you're saying. So you're talking about the coefficient and the fact that English teams sure. aren't doing very yes. well in the Champions League. At the moment. Yes. I understand that. I think here's what we could see happen if they move into the Champions League and qualify. Don't forget, um, you know, they're, they're, I think I think I'm right in saying, and I haven't checked this, but I think I'm right in saying they have to come in the top three to automatically qualify anyway. Um, otherwise, they'll have to go into a qualification game. Oh, right, right. But if, yes, they true, all, true. if they automatically qualify for the Champions League, regardless, um, they're clearly going to have a whole, no, sort of whole host of new football players available for them to sign because play, team players will, will much much more likely to go side for a side in the Champions League. They've got an experienced manager in Claudio yes, Ranieri who has managed in Europe before, and they've already got some pretty good players who are making headlines. So, of course, it's a bit of a stretch for them to, to, to get through to the knockout stages next season. But you never know. I mean, no, and, and look, I'm, I'm obviously jumping way ahead. I'm jumping way yeah, ahead. I am, yeah, I, I, but it's fun to think about. I mean, it certainly is. And, and you know, it means that what, what I think would be, would be great to see is if they, they manage to achieve that. It, it means they don't have to sell off these pieces that a team like Leicester, even if they have a surprise season, would otherwise have to, to sell off the way we've seen with a club like Southampton. Yeah, that, that is that is almost certainly what will happen. Yeah, I mean, they, they, clearly they're going to hugely overachieve now compared to last season and what, what everyone expected of them. Whatever happens now, and that means that they may get some players poached, not necessarily in January, but possibly in the summer. Um, and that's unfortunately the way football is. But that's why I'd like to see, part of the reason why I'd like to see them close it out. Yeah, because you know a change is as good as a rest. 
and the Premier League probably does need a bit of a change. Mm. So it would be great to see. We need to watch these next four games and see what happens, though, because I think one of the key things about um, a successful team or a team that can go on to achieve things, whatever those things may be, in my view, is that they need to react to a defeat. So it's like the whole boxer thing. What's, who's yeah. a better boxer? A boxer who goes his whole career undefeated or a boxer who bounces back and avenges a defeat? Um, and it, it's open to interpretation, but we need to see what Leicester can do the day or the week after they've had either a narrow defeat dramatically in the last few minutes or a hammering. If they, if they can bounce back from that, and, that, and they will get beaten at some point, yeah. you know, again, and, and if they can bounce back from that and show what they're made of when the pressure's on, then we might have a real team on our hands, and it'll be absolutely fascinating to see. Uh, I don't know. You know, normally I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't spend a lot of time talking about a 14th place team, but uh, of course, that 14th place team in the Premier League right now is Chelsea. Um, the the Champions League today they have they have Porto at at home. I mean, I guess I'm expecting them to to go ahead and and, and see this out and, and qualify for the knockout round, um, Luke. And and but I don't know if I should be rooting for that or not. And look, I don't. I, I don't really live with a lot of Schadenfreude for Jose or Chelsea, but. They are such a fascinating story when they're spiraling out of control that uh, it almost it almost of makes course. me want to watch them fail again. It's why people slow down when they see an accident <laughs> on the, on the right. road. That's right. Um, I, I think I, you know clearly they need a positive result tonight, and, and Donna McKeever, I think, are fairly likely to beat Maccabi Tel Aviv at home. So they need to do the business tonight, um, and, and actually they need to do the business in general. I think they've not looked absolutely terrible in Europe. I mean, they've looked better in Europe than they have in the league. Um, and clearly there's a bit of a subtext here because they're playing Porto and Mourinho has obviously won everything that he won at Porto so mm-hmm. he'll be he'll be desperate to win regardless I think they'll probably close it out I can see them doing that uh, they've got the best defensive record in that group and they've scored the most goals so I think they're the best team in that group actually just regardless of all their um, all their problems um, and of course the great bonus for them will be if they do beat Porto and they finish top of the group then um, they'll have a better second round draw and that's clearly important for a team who may even still be struggling to to put themselves right by that point um so they're not going to want a, a huge european heavyweight in the second round blimey i mean i'm getting ahead of ourselves because they haven't actually qualified yet but you, you understand what i mean sure um i think i think they've looked better in, in the champions league and i think they'll do okay tonight and, and, they, and they will go through it seems as though their 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 struggles don't necessarily follow them into europe the same way and and, and but they do have you know they do have consistent issues and right now one of those issues is the the situation with Diego Costa, I, I I'll admit that I'm not quite up on the on the entirety of the story, Luke. But I all I know is that you know this is a guy that's that's I mean when we talk about Schadenfreude, it, it's easy to hate Diego Costa because of the way he plays, and maybe some people are out there saying, well, this is what you get for bringing in Diego Costa and relying on Diego Costa. But uh, for Chelsea, in the practical uh, sense, they need to get something out of this player. Yeah, I, I'm of the opinion that he's a bit overrated, actually. And I know a lot of people don't share that opinion with me. Um, his story, I mean, obviously, you don't have time to go into a huge depth of his story. I'm not completely across everything that's happened in his life. But his story, as far as I understand it, is that um, he was playing second fiddle to uh, Falcao at Atletico. Obviously, Falcao moved on, and Diego Costa stepped into the, into the breach and, and did the business and scored a few goals. Um, got his move. But the, the point is, though, the point that's worth remembering is this is a player who's only... I mean, prior to his move um, to Chelsea, this is a player who's had one good goal-scoring season. You could argue this, and that was his second season at Atletico Madrid um, in, his, in his second spell. So you could argue that, OK, the season before that, I think he got about 10 league goals the season before that, and 
and he did okay in Europe. And, uh, sorry, in the cup, and, and that was okay. For me, the, the, the season before he signed for Chelsea was the best season he had at, at Mexico Madrid. Scored, um, I think, about just under 30 league goals, something like that, and, and obviously scored a few in Europe too. Um, he moved to Chelsea, did very well, 20 and 26. Um, and despite his injury problems, because he, he did miss a fair few games, and, and this season he's not really done anything at all. I think people are getting way ahead of themselves with automatically calling Diego Costa one of the best strikers in Europe. I don't know if that's the case. I'm not saying that he's not a good player and that he doesn't deserve to be playing at a top club. I'm just saying I think people have got a bit ahead of themselves with Diego Costa. And to be perfectly honest, I think he's a bit one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. I think defenders who learn in, 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 at the top level know how to play against him now. They know they can wind him up. They know they can just keep him at arm's length and, 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 and almost out-muscle out him. And he's, his head's going to drop. And if he doesn't score early on, he's unlikely to score. I think that's what defenders think of Diego Costa. And I think he's not, he's not shown this season, certainly. And of course, it's not all his fault. Chelsea have had a lot of problems this season, as we all know. It's not all his fault. But I don't think he's got the mentality at the moment to really focus on his game and improve and, and all that other stuff. It, it, and he's not showing himself to be anywhere near the player this season that, that, that people hoped he could be. Do you, do, you, do you think he's a bit of a flat-track bully that he, that he beats up on uh, uh, some inferior players or certainly takes advantage of maybe some, some naivete and when it comes to defending? Yeah, there's something of that about him. I, I also think that he, he, he could do with a bit of time out the side, actually. I think if Chelsea were doing a lot better and they weren't under so much pressure, I think it would be the easiest decision in the world to take him out the side for a while um, get him refocused, get him working hard in training and, 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 and let, showing him actually what it's all about and making him maybe a bit more hungry again mm-hmm. and, um, and maybe giving someone else a run. But the problem also with that is not only Chelsea are struggling, Mourinho doesn't seem that keen to use Remy. Um, I know Remy's, um, I think Remy's wife's just given birth to a child, so he's got other things on his mind. And, and, and what's happened is Mourinho has shown that when he's not wanting to use Costa, when he is trying to drop him, he almost sort of half drops him. So he puts him on the bench and then he plays a non-striker up front. So what does that say to Diego Costa? It says, well, yeah. Diego Costa now thinks, well, there's no other striker at the club who can do what I can do because they're having to play someone out of position when they don't play me. And that's not helpful, I don't think. I think he, everything was well in the Chelsea camp. Give him a bit of time out the side, get, his ref, get him to refocus and get him back again because I don't think it did him uh, too much harm at Atletico. From what I can remember, he was out of the side when Falcao was there and when he came in, he always did pretty well. Um, he was seen as a pretty capable understudy. Um, so a bit of time on the side might do him a bit of good, but I don't know if they can afford to do that at the moment. Mm. Uh, let's let's uh, briefly here. They haven't really given any plaudits to City, but they've they've managed to qualify. They managed to win their group. They they beat a very hot Gladbach team four two yesterday. Raheem Raheem Sterling was fantastic from what I read. Luke, um, you know, is this the is this the finally the campaign where Manchester City figures it out in the Champions League? Well, they've won the group, and that's important for them because they they've, they've drawn difficult teams in the past in the second round. Uh, and they've struggled really in terms of, of, of what they wanted to achieve in the Champions League so far. Um, and Pellegrini was, of course, brought in because of the things he did um, in Europe before. But that's a great result for them last night. I'm actually a bit surprised that Montegladbach finished bottom of their group, um, to be honest, because they, they looked, I mean, they weathered the storm. I mean, they beat Bayern Munich at the weekend, as I'm sure you're aware, but they weathered the storm in the first half mm-hmm. um, and actually really came out of them in the second half and, 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 and outclassed uh, uh, Munich for large parts of that game. So they've definitely got a lot of ability and a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of class and quality. Um, so I'm surprised they came bottom of the group uh, finishing behind Sevilla. Um, it was a fantastic result for Man City last night. I mean, but they, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying they lost, didn't they lose in their first game at home to Juventus? Yes. They definitely lost at home to Juventus. I think it might have been their first game. Yes. Um, so to turn that around and win the group is, is a really great achievement for them. And, and, 
and they'll be hoping hoping they get a decent team in the second round because they need to get their um, seeding up as well, and that's really important. And, and, and one of the ways to get your seeding up, of course, is to do well in Europe, and, and they need to do that, and they have done so far. Yeah, certainly, um, uh, you know, been up and down, uh, the question of, of whether or not they're, um, it, it, what is it about City? I mean, what is it about, they've got, they're dealing with some injuries as well. And, and, uh, look, Vincent Company has been so, so important for them. And when he's not there, that changes a lot. Obviously, Yaya Torre has been sort of up and down with form and up and down with contribution, but he is a, a massive figure. He remains a massive figure in this team. What is it about them, though, that has led to the questions of whether or not they're capable in Europe? Well, I think some people, well, I don't know about the Europe thing specifically, but I, don't, I think tactically teams at that top level in Europe tend to be a touch better. I think if you, if you talk about it in light of their result against Stoke at the weekend, I mean, they had um, arguably, and it isn't only an argument, arguably their three best outfield players out, Aguero, Torre and company. Mm-hmm. They were all missing. So you take, that, the, you take the spine of a team out of any side and they're going to struggle. That aside, though, a couple of my colleagues on the Football Ramble um, think that they can be got at. Think that, think that the way you play against Manchester City is not the way you play against other big teams. You don't, you don't sit back, sit deep and defend with your lives and try and catch them in the break. You go at City. And if you go at them and really hammer them, they'll crumble and they'll get beaten. Not always, but it will happen. Sometimes if you go blow, you know, trade, trade blows with them, sort of punch for punch, you'll get beaten because they're a good team. But sometimes they can be beaten, they can be got at. And if you look at the way Stoke beat them against Man City, uh, sorry, at uh, the weekend, um, they, they just they just passed them to death. They, they were quicker than them. They were faster. They were a lot more inventive. And City just couldn't deal with it. They could not deal with it at all. And I wonder if in Europe that's going to manifest itself when they play a good team who aren't going to be scared of them, who will go at them. And, and maybe they'll get beaten in that way in Europe as well. Yep. Luke Moore from the Football Ramble joining us, uh, spending a good 20 minutes with us. And Luke, we very much appreciate it. Uh, enjoy, your, enjoy your Wednesday. Enjoy your Champions League. And we'll talk to you soon. There goes uh, Luke. In fact, his, the phone call just dropped out of its own accord just that second. Uh, perfect timing. Perfect timing. Let's step aside. When we come back, Tyler Riven from Arizona United, part of the leadership of the USL uh, unionization effort, will join us to talk about that. It's Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. One of the more interesting bits of news to come out in the last 24 hours or so is uh, the news that the USL players are looking to potentially unionize, or actually they are looking to unionize. One of the leaders from the player side of that effort is Tyler Riven from Arizona United who joins us on the phone line. Hi, Tyler. Uh, Tyler, excuse me. How are you? Hey, man. How's it going? I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm actually down in Jamaica on my honeymoon, so I can't uh, Wow. <laughs> Taking time out from your honeymoon to talk about unionizing <laughs> the USL players, that's commitment. All right, Tyler, let's, I mean, I think that, that for a lot of people, the first thing that, that, that they need to know, and maybe if they're not either a member of a union or, or know somebody who is or, or really understand at least how it works in sports, why this is something that the players want to do. Anything we just kind of feel it's a natural progression, um, you know. As as MLS grows, as does 
USL and, and, you know, it's just kind of a logical next step to help uh, the players have a voice uh, in developing this league into what everybody wants it to be. And basically what this means is that you guys want, uh, you know, you guys are, are, are putting yourselves together as a group so that there's a united voice to go in and, and work with USL about pushing forward on whatever is going to make this league better. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think perhaps a lot of people see, you know, the word union and, and think, you know, demands or work stoppage or, you know, all of these you know ag- aggressive terms uh and, and that's really not what we're we're even talking about you know uh we're, we're trying to get as many of the players to participate as possible we, we have majority um but this is a, a very much a long-term uh vision you know um there's no rush there's no you know pressure on the league for demands or, or anything like that um we're just simply trying to create a very amicable relationship with the league office so as this league continues to grow, as it has been the last couple of years, it's been crazy. Um, you know, the players can can have a voice in that process and, and keep things moving uh, as positively as, as possible. And you found um, you found the leadership there at, at USL and and um, the people in charge of of these teams as we grow this league by exponential numbers. Apparently, uh, receptive to to the idea of hey, look, the players need a voice as well. Um, yeah, I can't really comment on that. I, I don't know a good answer. Okay. Um, All right, fair. You know, uh, they, I don't know who, you know, if they're allowed to give their opinion or what. I mean, that's not, that's not really my, uh, concern or, or something I'm involved in. Uh, we obviously hope that, um, this is a, an easy process and, and they want to recognize straight away. Okay. Um, but like I said, that's uh, that's not up to me. Uh, well, then, then let me let me hand. flip it around and some, talk about something you you absolutely would know about, and that's more fair from my perspective. Um, as we as we get into you know again, this is like dipping our toes into this uh, into these waters. We're not, as you said, there's not a, a huge rush here. This is all amicable. You you say you have the majority. Um, what was the process like? You know, just talking to to players, and I'm not sure how much you were involved versus how much uh, some other of the organizers were involved, but. What was it, you know, how did that, that, how did you guys go about talking to players in USL and saying, hey, this is something we should be doing and, and something that's positive for us and for the league? Well, early on, um, you know, a lot of guys had always talked about this, but it always seemed kind of like this grand project that, you know, nobody knew really how to get started or, or what to do um, to make it, to make it happen. And, um, you know, I, I started talking with, with Ted in um, let's say January and we were just kind of bouncing ideas off one another on, you know, the benefits of this and how to make it happen. And if it was worth pursuing and, you know, we kind of shared similar feelings on a lot of different things um, about it. So it started with between me and a couple other guys who have played, I've been fortunate enough to play in all three leagues in North America and, um, you know, spent some time in Europe. So th- through that, I had a lot of connections at various clubs. So we, uh, you know, we reached out to people that we'd worked with in the past or people we knew and, and tried to get um, as many of the uh, clubs in the league um, educated on what we wanted to do or if they were interested. Um, and slowly as, as the season progressed, we got in contact with one person on each club and had them, 
uh, address their team with membership cards and, and, you know, slowly started to see what percentage of the player pool uh, was willing to take part in this. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of questions people are going to ask about how, how the MLS relationship with USL and the number of teams that are serving as MLS reserve teams, how that impacts something like this. And so you have 53% uh, per the story at, at the Washington Post by Stephen Goff, or, or a majority, just say it that way, which is the necessary number mm-hmm. or necessary percentage to get a union recognized. That includes Does that include players on those MLS-affiliated teams? No. So, well, yes and no. What what we did was anybody on a USL contract would be represented by okay. our proposed union. Right. Um, now, that would ex- exclude guys who are signed with MLS and loaned down for obvious reasons. They're protected under the MLSPU. Got it. Um, and that also excludes uh, academy guys who are loaned to their, you know, their MLS two sides. And those are more often than not on amateur loans or amateur deals. Um, so those would be excluded as well. So this would pertain to only players signed to a professional USL contract. Um, and we took that approach from the start. Um, so, you know, the numbers we talk about reflect the percentages of players that are on USL professional contracts. In terms of, I mean, just from a personal perspective, um, what, what led you to be, to, to be interested in, in, in taking um, a, a leadership role or being involved in the, in the effort from, a, from the forefront, being the guy who's on this radio show right now? What, why, why, Tyler? Well, you know, first of all, we don't have any titles or sure. positions or anything like that. So um, I would say calling, call me a leader in that front loosely. We, we're not having anybody over anybody else. Um, like I said before, Ted and I agreed on a lot of different things and a lot of benefits of this. And I kind of felt like I was in a unique position with playing in all three and, and things like that. So. Um, it's always something that's interested me. Um, my father was very in- involved with, uh, you know, a couple CBA negotiations with Major League Baseball during his career. Um, those stories always kind of fascinated me. And then I majored in sport management in college, so I studied a little bit of that stuff in, in college. And um, more than anything, it's not really about me or even the players that are playing right now. Like I said, this is a long-term process, and you know, me or my teammates may see zero benefit from this, but we hope that perhaps the 16, 17-year-old kids that are starting to get, you know, training stints with these USL teams or even loan minutes in the summer, you know, we want them to be in a more professional atmosphere. We want them to benefit and, and the game in this country to continue to grow. And I think every player in any league in this country probably shares the same goal. Yeah, just a couple of things I want to throw in there for our listeners. One, Ted is is Ted Filipakos, uh, who's a professor at New York uh, University and, and does some work within the uh, mm-hmm. player representation realm. Um, and also, you mentioned your dad. Your dad uh, was a major league baseball pitcher. Um, that that mm-hmm. that that stuff. I mean, that stuff definitely trickles down. I mean, I, I'm just curious from. Um, your mindset, what it is that, you know, I mean, I, I guess your experience both being your father's son and then having played in all three of these leagues and, and being close to all of this stuff, is, is, there a, is there a right way and a wrong way to go about this process? I, I, I'm, I'm imagining you're trying everything you, do, you, you can to make it the, the right way. Uh, have we seen some problems before in the way that, that players have unionized in this country? Um. You know, of anything specifically um, in this country and other sports maybe that have gone through this where it's it's been, you know, nasty from the start. 
Um, but in terms of us doing it the right way or the wrong way, you know, all I can say is that we want to do it, you know, in a positive way. We want it to be an open dialogue and we want it to be positive. There's no, like I said already, you know, there's going to be no drawing a line in the sand and making demands and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, we're just trying to establish a relationship and that, and that's really, that's really our main and only objective right now is to, you know, sort of get this process started and start a relationship between the two parties. So what's the next step? Where, where, where does the, where do things go from here? The next step is, uh, we have a independent mediator, uh, which verifies our card count. So that would, you know, it would be a third party who would, you know, then report back to the league and say they do. And he, you know, he would count the cards, um, and then it's up to the league to either volunteer voluntarily recognize, or if they decide not to, um, then the National Labor Relations Board, or I may have said that incorrectly, but no, I think that's right. something along those lines, would then uh, petition an election amongst the player pool. And uh, if majority is established again, then, then the union would be established. USL players uh, looking to unionize. Tyler Riven from uh, Arizona United talking to us. Um, you, you know, what What specifically, I mean, look, you, you, you said there's not going to be demands. You guys aren't drawing lines in the sand. But there's got to be some idea of, 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 of advocacy that will help the players. I mean, is that something that you guys would rather not talk about yet? Uh, because clearly there has to be a goal to getting to the table and having your say you want certain certain things that you may suggest or uh, you know uh, throw out as as an idea in order for usl to to improve their product and and certainly you know make it the best atmosphere for player performance yeah i, I you know i think from our end the players just want to see the most professional environment possible um you know I, we're not at a point where we're uh, going to talk about things that need to be changed or, you know, things, things of that nature. We're, we're just, like I said, this is very preliminary. We're just trying to start a relationship. And, and as things progress with the league, we just want to continue to uh, help the, the standard race, both on the field and off the field. Uh, do you have, uh, do you have a lot of guys asking you, um, uh, you know, asking you and asking, um, I believe it's Paolo Del Piccolo from Charlotte and, and certainly Ted, are, are players reaching out as part of this process? I use, I don't know how the, the, the card count works or, or how these, these guys may even have become aware, but certainly you're talking about a, a global sport where maybe unionization is, is something you have to explain to some guys. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it may have not have been a surprise to Ted, um, but it was a little bit of a surprise to me. As we started this process, you know, people were, once they figured out what was going on and, and what we were doing and, and felt like we were legitimate, uh, the feedback's been outstanding. Uh, you know, people were very eager to get involved. People were, you know, reaching out left, right, and center, you know, saying, oh, we've always wanted to do this or we didn't know how. And it's uh, it's been it's been uh, getting everybody involved hasn't been as difficult as, as you would have thought uh, because people were pretty eager and pretty receptive. So um, it's been nice to hear from, from people you knew in the past and people you maybe you've never, never met before, but played against who uh, were eager to get involved. Is there, is there a general sense on your part that, that these guys understand that, that this is laying groundwork that may not, as you said, may not benefit you now and, and the players that are in this league now, but could certainly, help take care of guys who, are, who will be coming into this league in the next five or ten years? 
Absolutely. I think uh, as this league grows, uh, you know, everybody kind of feels that way. And, and I think kind of my generation of player in this country is more or less aware that they're very much in a, a booming time. All the leagues are growing. Um, so I think, you know, most guys realize they're, uh, they're in a position to uh, leave this game better than they found it in this country. And, and I think that's really what this entire process is all about. There we go. Uh, Tyler Riven from Arizona United, part of the uh, the group. And, and like you said, no titles at the moment, but uh, looking to unionize no title. players at the USL level. And uh, they, they seem to have a majority, which means the next steps will be coming shortly. Uh, if they're... I, you know, I read, Tyler, that the, the timeline could be as much as a year, depending on how USL reacts to all of this. I imagine you'd like to do it quicker. Do you see the end in sight, though? Um, I don't want to say I see the end in sight, but, you know, I, I personally feel like, you know, we have our ducks in a row. We're, we're organized. Um, you know, Ted's been unbelievable from the start. Uh, you know, I think he has a unique uh, qualification to do something like this between you know, working in the player representation market to also working as a professor, you know, he's written books, you know, he, he has a couple different perspectives that kind of help us, you know, he, he can kind of prepare us from all sides, you know, conversations we have, we can kind of talk through best case, worst case. And he's been unbelievably helpful in just getting everybody uh, moving in the same direction. Um, that being said, uh, yeah, we would love this to happen tomorrow, but you know, guys realize that, that's not usually how this plays out. And if it goes to an election, it could be another 12 months, but it doesn't change uh, what I said before. This is a, a long-term view and we're just trying to help, uh, you know, help the next group of guys come through to, to, uh, to get to a higher standard. All right, uh, Tyler, we've taken up more than enough of your time. As you said, you're on your honeymoon. I'm sure your bride is um, none too happy <laughs> to have to <laughs> deal with this interruption. So go take care of her, and thank you very much for the time. We'll be uh, watching very closely uh, and rooting for these players, uh, for, your, uh, for your teammates and your, your colleagues in USL to get all this stuff uh, done. Certainly would be a step forward um, at that level. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, uh, Tyler. There goes Tyler River. Good stuff from him. Let's uh, step aside. We'll come back. Uh, we'll take your phone calls on a Wednesday. Soccer morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Excuse me. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning, and I just got I just spent an entire segment talking to Tyler Ruthven, getting his name wrong. So that's fun. That's a thing that happened. You know, you do this this job every day. You talk to a lot of people. You think you know. You think you know, but you really you, you don't sometimes. And I usually, this is, this is behind the scenes, pulling back the curtain a little bit. I usually ask, even if, even if it's very simple, even if phonetically there should be no problem and no question, I usually ask. I usually make sure that I'm getting a name right. I have a thing about names. My name is very simple. There's absolutely no question about my name. No one's going to look at my name and go, Jason 
Davis, that, that's not going to happen. I have a joke that my I can call myself Hasson Davis, but it's not Hasson Davis. It's Jason Davis. Very simple. But I, I, I want to get people's names right. So when I have Tyler Ruthven on the show, I fail to ask him his, how to pronounce his name, and I go with the pronunciation that I know applies to my friend Graham Ruthven, who doesn't pronounce it Ruthven. I don't think he does. I think he pronounces it Riven. So it's, I don't know, whatever. My, my bad. My apologies to Tyler. Got his name wrong like four times, five times. Tyler Ruthven, good to have him on the show. Uh, looking forward to seeing what's going to happen down at the USL level with this unionization effort. A couple of things on Twitter that are erupting. Oh, well, uh, before, I, before I forget, let me do this, okay? Let me recognize the efforts of Mr. Dan Dickinson of Gothamist, uh, MLS on uh, the MLS Reddit uh, over there, and uh, certainly Seeing Red, uh, the New York Soccer Roundup, the podcast, which you can find on backhill.com. Uh, Dan announced this morning, after four years of, of doing, um, doing soccer as his side job, covering games, going out there, doing podcasts, moderating the uh the rmls reddit forum that he is stepping aside that he is going to pull back that he's burnt out and um i just want to recognize everything that dan's done he's been a part of the open wide for some soccer podcast as the guy with the sad stats he's done an amazing job with seeing red um he's he's asked me several times to do uh to do uh amas over at, at at reddit which have been fun uh he's reached out to the community and made that place fantastic helped make that place fantastic our mls and and done great work for gothamist and, and other outlets and i just uh want to recognize dan and, and what he's done it's a it's a very tough thing go read his his um his goodbye piece at his personal blog because it lays out how hard it is even now even in 2015 to stick with soccer if you want to cover it for a living there's basically no such thing uh i i i am scraping by just to be honest with you, I am scraping by, but I can consider myself incredibly lucky to be sitting here every day talking to you and making soccer my thing. I, I'm a lucky, I, you know, I cobbled together a couple of different jobs in order to, to be able to sit here every day and talk to you guys about soccer. And I know how lucky I am because, as Dan says in his blog, the number of guys who are full-time soccer journalists, you can count them on two hands. And I'm talking about the entire country. I mean, these... Even the guys who work for major newspapers have other responsibilities outside of soccer because soccer is not important enough to be their main beat. That we're still, we are still far away from where we want to go as a soccer country, at least on that front. Maybe those MLS TV ratings need to come up for that to happen. I don't, sorry, I'm not doing that. Uh, also on Twitter, somebody mentioning the DC United badge, the new badge. I uh, don't think that's officially announced, uh, but the boys over at Black and Red United which is the soccer, sorry, the SB Nation blog for DC United have gotten their hands on it. And, uh, I like it. I do. I don't have any problem with it. I, I do. And I, I think I said this when I talked about it with somebody on this show or, or somewhere else. I expected them to reincorporate some of the elements of the DC flag. And they did do that. They worked that in, um, on the, uh, the body of the Eagle. So go over to Black and Red United. And take a look at this badge. I do. I dig it. I think it's, um, I think it's one of the best in MLS right now. Uh, I, the one thing that's, that jumped out at me was that the Eagle kind of has this, this waist, skinny waist thing going on. But otherwise, um, you know, even that I can get past. It's not a big deal. I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a, a nice badge. DC United has rebranded themselves 
All right, let's see what else we've got. Uh, uh, what would the impact be if a CONCACAF team won their first World Club, World Club Cup title? Club America looks pretty good. Well, I mean, they, they did crash out of the, uh, they did crash out of, out of the, uh, Liga of Playoffs, uh, but it looks like they, they, I don't think they're going to win it. I mean, come on. They're, they're not going to win it. The Mexican clubs go. They do okay sometimes. They generally speaking don't. They're not going to win it. You know, Barcelona's probably going to win it. I, I don't, I don't really see a lot of hope there. But if they did, if Club America did win that title, I, I suppose it would mean something. Um, it would certainly put more pressure on MLS to win the CONCACAF Champions League. And right now, I don't think that we're very close to that yet. I don't think that we're on the verge of an MLS champion in the CONCACAF Champions League. The group that we've got going into the knockout round next year, there's not there's not a bad team in that mix, but there's not a good team either. I mean, there's not a great team. There's not a there's not a we're good enough to beat Mexico type of team. That's uh, that that's I think that's certainly true. And you've got you know you've got Mexico USA Mexico uh, uh, matchups all the way through the quarterfinals. So you have uh, Tigres who look great taking on RSL. I'm not sure I give RSL much of a chance. Sorry, RSL fans. You've got Carretero taking on DC United. Okay, look, Carretero, I don't think he's burning up the league down there right now, but DC United isn't exactly doing that either. LA Galaxy against Santos Laguna. Uh, you Maybe you give LA Galaxy a, a bit of a, a chance, but they've got some things to figure out. And then you have Seattle against Club America. I mean, as, uh, as we've got here in, in Twitter, Club America's got to be a massive favorite in that tournament. I mean, in that, in that matchup. All right. Phone lines are open. 646-832-3909. I think we've got a couple of people trying to get in. I'll get to you here in a moment as uh, we work through the screening process. It is a, uh, it's a Wednesday. It's Champions League Day. Imagine you'll be taking, part, uh, taking a, a look at some of the Champions League soccer happening in Europe today. Again, Arsenal with the big task trying to beat Olympiacos. And do it by enough of a number to overcome uh, the tiebreaker. This is um, fascinating for me to to see Arsenal again run up against uh, a challenge like this. Oh, let's see, let's see. We got Patrick down in. Uh, I'm I'm guessing he's down in Clemson, right? Yes, yes, down in Clemson. <laughs> did I get it? Hold on, did I get it right this time? I did, right? Yes, you got it right. right. It's. Sounds like it's spelled. It's, There's no it's Clemson. Z's or I's. Yeah, it's 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 Clemson. And Clemson. Much, right, so, to, much to ESPN's chagrin, uh, <laughs> I can call them out for a second. They have not pronounced Clemson correctly the entire year, among other things. So. I, I, I have I have had Patrick. You want to talk about the College Cup? I have had a couple of people bring up the College Cup and our coverage of it or lack thereof because we haven't really hit it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you called. I, I've been meaning to. Here's the thing. I just. I don't know crap about it. So, in, and it's not on my radar with everything else going on. And that's, that's, that's maybe mostly about me, but I think it's also about college soccer in this country. And I think you'd be, uh, willing to admit that. So go ahead. Dump on me some, some college cup situation here. Uh, I mean, I don't have too, too much. I mean, I, you know, uh, I don't know if you've mentioned it or not, but uh, the matchups are, uh, um, my Clemson Tigers, uh, give them a shout out and give them a, a good luck, uh, against Syracuse. And uh, on the other side, we have Stanford and Akron, um, both looking like some pretty good games. But I, I think, yeah, back to your point about, you know, not talking about it a whole lot. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a, a factor of, you know, 
just the level of interest. Um, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I've been meaning to call him for a while and just haven't had time to do the finals, but uh, going back to last Friday when we had our game against Maryland, uh, you know, we had an incredible atmosphere. We had about 7,000 people out in our stadium uh, rooting on for boys and an exciting PK shootout win, and uh, all the students got to rush the field and hug the players after the game, which was great. But, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing, you know, that, that sort of game is relegated to ESPN3, and, you know, I, I guarantee, you know, any of those other uh, Elite Eight games, you know, similar situation, even if maybe they had a, a pretty good crowd out, you know, for their local team. Uh, it's not like, you know, they all have – those games have any sort of national recognition, uh, you know. Just look at the rest of the stuff we had on this week. There is Premier League. We had Champions League this, yeah. yesterday yeah. and today. We've got uh, we got the MLS Cup. So, uh, you know. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, like, it's I think tough. these I... are exciting games. It's just, you know, they, they don't have much of a spot. I mean, thankfully – uh, the semifinals and final is going to be on ESPNU, so that'll help a little, but you know, not too much outside of the fan base. Now, has it always been the Patrick? Has, that, has it always been the case? I feel like we've had um, college cups in the past that were on ESPN proper or ESPN two. Mm, possibly. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if the timing's just different. You know, year to year. You know, maybe that uh, changed the. I, I pretty clearly remember watching these games on ESPNU last year, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it changed from year to year. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's not to say anything about maybe not necessarily the quality, but uh, the excitement level of these games. I mean, like I said, so several of these games went to overtime or ended in PKs. I mean, they, they were quality entertainment, but, you know, not a whole lot of people even had a chance to see them, let alone know they were happening outside of uh, anyone who's following these teams. I mean, you know, I honestly couldn't tell you too, too much about any of the other games outside of Clemson. There are, um, there are, these games are at Sporting Park, correct? For the, for the, uh, the final yeah. four? Alright, so yeah. you got I'm st- actually uh, taking a final tonight and then driving to Kansas tomorrow. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're, wait, well, you're driving from, from Clemson to, to Kansas City? Yeah. What? That is insane. Okay, <laughs> I'm not even going to... Yeah, and then I have to drive home, which is in <laughs> South Carolina. <laughs> wow. Okay, so uh, best of luck on all of that, Patrick. I'm sure you'll see some very nice stuff um, along the road. Just be careful. Uh, pack your car with food and water. Yeah. You don't want to get stranded. All right, Stanford and Akron, good matchup there. Obviously, Jordan Morris, a, high, a highlight for people who yep, don't Jordan. know much about college soccer. And, and Clemson and, and, uh, and Syracuse. Clemson, the uh, number two team in the country. Syracuse, obviously... Um, high seed left. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, Clemson, the, the the high seed left. These games at Sporting Park, which is a proper venue. I mean, at least we have that to to focus on here. Uh, because True. I, and I, I guess maybe if I could bring up real quick. I mean, yes, Sporting Park's a nice venue, but if I'm the NCAA, I, I don't understand why for college soccer, you know, especially as we've gone over the context that it's in, why we're not just letting teams have home field advantage throughout. Because I I'm guaranteeing you that. Attendance at Sporting Park is probably going to be less than, you know, if Clemson had our home game here uh, on Friday. Yeah. I mean, it would be packed here. But, you know, Sporting Park, I, I don't know how many Clemson will hire in Kansas City. Sure. I mean, not everybody's going to make that, that whatever that is, 112-hour drive you're making. I, I think... I think, I think there's a, there's, it's difficult, and I'm gonna leave with, you leave with this, Patrick, it's difficult because you certainly, as the NCAA, you want to push this product, uh, if you want to think of it that way, 
to to the best stage possible. And and look, I, I don't know what Clemson's college soccer stadium situation is. It's probably pretty nice. I know a lot of these 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 yeah, schools. Yeah, we actually pretty fortunate in our stadium situation. Okay, right, about, but not everybody uh, is right. Not thousand standing room, so not everybody is, yes. and not everybody has those venues. And you, if you, if you just and, and, and well, first of all, you got to have so you, so you would end up having a championship game. At, at a at a home venue somewhere, and maybe you'd fill that place up. But you're you're also talking about the event culture that we have, and I, I imagine for from a broadcasting perspective, that creates a lot of issues. If they know in advance they're going to Sporting Park for this, they can get everything set up. And Sporting Park's built for television and all of those things. I, I just think you know NCAA has some questions to to answer, and we know that the NCAA doesn't always make the right decisions. And here we are. I, I, I don't really blame them for this yeah. necessarily, but it would be be nice to see a vibrant crowd. Patrick, I got to run. Appreciate the call, man. All right. All right. There goes Patrick down Bye. in Clemson talking about college soccer. We'll do some, uh, we'll probably do some. We've got two days. So Friday is when the semifinals are happening at Sporting Park, 6 o'clock and 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Or at least I think these are Eastern time zone numbers. And then uh, the championship game is on Sunday. At 2 p.m. Eastern at Sporting Park. So we're down to the final four in the college soccer tournament. Bill in New York, you're on the air. Jason, how's it going? I, I know I'm a couple of days behind, and I tried calling you on Monday about this. I never got in. It was about um, the women canceling this game this weekend. Yeah. And uh, it just made me think about it when you were talking about the reporters and how the soccer's just not that important in this country to have full-time reporters and have a lot of them. And I kind of feel like the women's game is like at the bottom of the barrel of that group. And for them to cancel this game over the weekend, it just, to me, it kind of gives me a bad taste in my mouth a little bit. Just thinking about it was like a, for the veterans and everything else that this weekend stood for, and for them to be down in Hawaii and to cancel this game. And I just think of how many people are going to go to a game in Hawaii for the first time seeing a U.S. women's game and for them to cancel. I, I just yeah, I'm sure, I, Bill, I Bill, what, Bill. But if you if they okay, I, I understand what you're saying, but you don't put the players through that game if it if they're going to risk injury. And as what we what we can say for with certainty is that that game probably should have never been scheduled. Or if they were going to schedule that game, they should have done a better job of vetting the venue, of making sure that the players were comfortable there. To, to have it come down to the wire that way is the problem, not canceling the game. For me, canceling the game is the right decision if you had a, if you had a surface at that stadium that was going to put those players in jeopardy. But I, I almost think how MLS, when we first started, the stadiums that we played at, the fields that they played at, how awful they were and how terrible the conditions were, that's just where you start off. You, you don't get the best right from the beginning. And I, I almost feel like the, the women, they have to build up their sport, and, and they can't say no to anything. Yeah, okay, but that, that's, a, that's a tough you, thing. You know, to, something like that. Really, I, you're you're going to ask, ask a player, you're going to ask one of these players whose livelihood is based on how well their knees work, how well their ankles work, how how well they can how fast they can run and how good they can kick a soccer ball you're going to ask them to go and run around on a field with gigantic seams and sharp edged pieces of plastic and rock or whatever the heck it was you're going to ask them to do that for the benefit of what for for who's for the 15,000 people that have bought tickets and, and those people matter don't get me wrong but at some point you're 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 asking too much of the players I mean, if they were doing, if this was minor league soccer, if they were playing, I mean, I, they put up with a lot at the NWSL level. Go look and, uh, you know, a couple of years back, we had the, the issue where, 
Um, Sydney LaRue was tweeting out pictures of, of what her legs looked, at, look, looked like after playing on the surface, the Boston Breakers on the stadium that they played in. And it was a, a disaster. I mean, it, they, her legs looked like, uh, it looked like, you know, chopped meat, uh, basically. I mean, they put, these players have put up with some stuff. When they're on a victory tour to celebrate their championship and, and, and they're talk, you know, ultimately these games don't matter. And as I said, this is Harlem Globetrotters versus Washington Generals when you're talking about Trinidad and Tobago. When you're put, putting them in that position, I absolutely have no problem with them saying, hey, hold up. We're not, this isn't worth it for us. If this was a World Cup final, maybe we go out there and suck it up. They sucked it up in Canada despite the fact they had issues with that turf. They're not going to suck it up in, in Hawaii when the, the, the surface is bad enough that they really can, they're really going to risk injury. I just, yeah, well, agree to disagree. I think they kind of have to suck it up. I think they have to build this sport and they have to do whatever they can for the women's game. And they kind of have to suck these, these things up. You know, if, if this is going to be a problem, I think they have to look ahead and they have to say, you know what? We're going down to Hawaii and I know that feels not that good. Let me bring this up a month earlier and let's get this ball rolling. Let them do it. Because at this point, I think it's, you're there. The tickets were sold and, you kind of have to say, it's too late now. We've got to play this game. We've we got to do everything to build itself. I, I felt that way about MLS. Every time there's a threat of a strike, and I'm like, oof, you, you, really, you can't do this yeah, but yet. You see, you know, you're so, not big enough. But, but, but Bill, Bill, man, I mean, you're asking, you're asking the players to give up so, or, you know, to give up so much of their power to basically be used. I mean, we go back to, this is the, what, what, what this brings, we go back to the reserve clause in Major League Baseball and, and we go back to the way that, that certain players over the course of, of professional sports history have been treated by owners who did not, you know, treated them like, 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 not slaves, but, but not much better than that, that, that basically abused them, ran them through hell and back, for their financial benefit while the players were getting, you know, relatively speaking, percentage-wise scraps here. I, I mean, I, again, I know some of these women are highly paid, okay? I know some of them make a good amount of money from the national team program in addition to whatever they get from Nike or Adidas or whoever. But I don't think that they should just roll over and say, okay, whatever you guys want, we'll go out there and risk massive ACL reconstruction because 15,000 people showed up in Hawaii, and we're still building the sport. Building the sport stops mattering at some point. Either there's got to be a tipping point, Bill. And I think for these women, that was the tipping point. I, I, I guess I, I just to me, it's just it was a, a great opportunity being in Hawaii and everything that that weekend stood for, and all these people that were going to get a chance to see the women's game probably for the first time, maybe the only in Hawaii. Yeah. I, I don't know how many times they played there. But it was a big opportunity for people. I, I, I kind of think, you know, we'll just agree to disagree on that one. Yeah, I think they right. could have went ahead with it. Just one quick thing for you with the uh, MLS schedule. Any idea when that comes out? Because mm. I, I almost think they, they miss an opportunity if they don't get that schedule up before Christmas. You know, I was. Yeah, I, I you know like baseball, yeah. we would kind of follow suit with baseball a little bit. Baseball always comes out with their schedule before Christmas just to sell tickets. And I think MLS, I haven't heard any word, and I doubt it's going to be up for Christmas. No, no, it's definitely not. Uh, usually it's in, uh, it's in January. I think last year it came out uh, January 7th, is, is, is what I'm seeing here. All right, yeah, I kind of think they're missing a little bit of an opportunity to sell some I mean, I don't know, I don't know, how, hard it, I don't know how, how hard it is to, to rush it out. 
Uh, so I, I don't know, but, uh, it's certainly worth watching, Bill. Thanks for the call, man. Gonna run. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Jason. All right, Bill. Up in New York. Uh, all right, that's gonna do it for Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Again, thank you very much to our guest, Luke Moore, from the Football Ramble, which you can find via podcast at thefootballramble.com and also on Sirius XM, or here they are partnered, uh, with us over at Sirius XM FC, channel 85. And also thank you to Tyler Ruthven, who plays for the, uh, Arizona United, or plays for Arizona United in the US, United Soccer League, uh, as the players in the United Soccer League push for, uh, unionization down there at that level. All right. That's going to do it. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. What else? Anything? Champions League today. Uh, by, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I got nothing else. Go watch some soccer. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.